0: <laughs> Welcome to Adam Makes Beer. My name's Adam. This is the January 2024 live stream QA podcast. Um just so you know, September and June in the chat. As you can see, uh, you know, I'm learning to use StreamYard and and I'm finding out that I can put those those questions, those comments, up on the video stream. There, listen, I'm I'm gonna be 47. You got to cut me some slack. I, I'm I'm learning slowly, but surely. But as you can see, September and June is is proud of our love, and and, and I am as well. Um, there are a few things uh, that I am as as proud of as my love for September and June. But hey, everybody, welcome, welcome. We've got uh we, we've got a bunch of stuff going on today. The little fr- five minute period where where I was live beforehand, um, it caught me off guard a little bit. Um, I've got I've got a few things going on. Listen, today we are dropping free merch. We are dropping uh, a T shirt of your choice for a Bruce Apprentice membership. And and actually, I may have changed the name of that level. By the way, I may have t- changed it like Tier One. Membership and the reason that the reason that is is that implies that at some point there's going to be another tier. Well, you got that right because there is going to be another tier um, and and we're going to be getting into it but in uh in in all the excitement here i uh I, I don't have everything pulled up here just the way I typically do, so give me just a moment to get my stuff together. We've got a great lineup of uh, questions submitted this month, as always, from our amazing listener base here on uh, on the channel, on Instagram. Dude, we're going to have some cool Instagram stuff coming up. Where I mean, not just Instagram stuff, but some, some content stuff. Um, I'm going to be doing some stuff coming up with, oh, this isn't this, this is the announcements. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get into it. Adam Makes Beer is now a podcast. Check out Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and see all the long-form brewer interviews we have done. After you subscribe, please leave a review and comment as well because it really helps support the work I am doing. Also, if you are new to the channel or podcast, go to Adam Makes Beer on YouTube. Click the playlist tab and see tons of info, brew days, techniques, tutorials, over 546 videos now. Man. As always, if you're getting value out of this content, please follow, rate, like, comment, and share with your brewing friends and craft beer enthusiast homies. And if you have the means and feel as if my content has benefited you, consider a channel membership for $2.99 a month. It gives you a priority for Q&A, live streams, um, for getting questions in. And also, we're going to start doing a quarterly merch drawing for all for all members so that's cool also uh, i appreciate when you drop those super chat tips in the comments or chat uh january's industry pro live stream will be january 15th at 7 p.m eastern standard time with guest mitch Steele, formerly of stone currently of new realm brewing Stay tuned for more details on that. Make sure you're plugged into Instagram, Facebook, and follow, sub, and everything on YouTube so you can get all of the announcements on that. The Ohio Craft Brewers Conference is coming up January 16th through 18th, where I'll be speaking about content creation and creating direction with your career. Uh, Very much looking forward to it. If you happen to uh, see me there, please say hi. I like saying hi to people. Listen, I'm going to be there with Josh. Okay. I mean, not we're both going, but Josh is my boy, big rig Josh. You know what the deal is. So it's going to be me and Josh rolling through the trade show, going to talks, high fiving, sipping a beverage or two in the evening. It's going to be the real deal. But the window of time that you can spend with Josh is relatively short. <laughs> Not true. Josh is Josh is a joy. Um, But please do. Uh, just come up and say, hey, you're going to see me. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be wearing Adam Makes Beer merch. Did we mention Adam Makes Beer merch? Boom. New design here for summer. You want it to feel like it's summer? Is winter dragging on for you? Has the lack of sunlight got you down? Could you feel? Would you prefer to feel? Warm Caribbean breezes whistling through your beard and, and other uh frontal areas of your face. Well, have I got a solution for you? Look at that, dude. You can see you can see the seagulls. You can see them flying by. They can see you, they can see the fact that you're snacking on the beach and they want to swoop down, man. Land right next to you, that warming sand. That you're laying on top of with that nice long beach blanket, this is what this is what this merch does for you, okay? If you're in Australia, I mean it's uh, I mean it's just any other day right now because it's warm over there, or, or so, so I hear. But um, but yeah, so get in there and get it. So I'm, I'm going to be wearing I'm going to be wearing the stuff. I'm going to be wearing like a Sander hat. And Adam makes beer shirt. I do have hoodies in there now. Listen, and I've been <laughs> there is literally a flock of seagulls. Andrew, I, I will tell you that. And and Mad Viking, welcome to the stream, brother. It's been uh, you. I, I've seen you around for a while, so it's good to uh, it's good to see you in the stream. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's the way. It, it's the way to better mental health throughout. The uh, throughout the winter season, if, if that's the hemisphere that that you are that you are living in right now. So um, I know I have any studies to back it up, but um, but it, this is just it's it's anecdotal, baby. Um, also, I even have another design up. I have a hoodie up. I have a zip-up hoodie up right now um, with a new cool design thing. Listen, all this stuff I'm doing myself. I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to keep dropping designs and throwing them on things. I did find that this T-shirt that I have right here is the kind that I like quite a bit. It's like a little bit there. It's like a little bit softer, and it has like a little bit more like like stretch to it. But anyways, I found like the 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 T-shirts that I like. Um, I've got my hoodie coming soon. The design on the hoodie is cool. I don't think I don't know if I can show you. Let me see if I can show you on my phone. I do. If I were if I were a competent individual I would like show you utilizing uh StreamYard but um but we all know that you know there's there's levels to the competence my man BG my my man Bill Gerds in the house there repping if you remember Bill's one of uh Bill's one of my uh top most popular interviews um when we talked uh Australian pale ale and stuff like that boom baby did you see that what are you kidding me? Adam makes beer with all four elements of beer underneath it? I mean, above it? Come on. So that's stuff's coming. You're going to see me. I'm going to be wearing that stuff. I'm going to be wearing a Sonder hat because they're like my day job and you got to balance, right? So, you, but, but you have to kind of represent them both. I'm going to run around the conference. Come see me. Come say hi. A little good timing. A little high-fiving. I'm interested to hear about what you guys have going on in the brew house. So hit me up, hit me up, hit me up. Also, while I'm there, I am going to be starting to do uh, some cool stuff with my friends at Coldbreak. If you do not know, in my mind, uh, Coldbreak are uh, produce the best jockey boxes on the market. Um, and, uh, like for proof of that, like I, if you, I think it's back in a reel or something, or maybe, uh, maybe I did a a little jockey box, like maybe it was a reel on Instagram. Maybe I did something on YouTube. I don't think I did on YouTube. Um, but I, I did do some stuff, a little bit of content, spot content on, uh, jockey boxes. Cold break is the real deal. OK, um, they've they've been my favorite for a long time. I remember the first time I was working at Grayline and Nate there bought a cold break jockey box and I was just used to those blue or red plastic boys that uh, that are always blowing out the, the connection port through the shank for the faucet. You're always tearing through it. It's nasty. You get beer inside of it. These uh, these cold break jockey boxes are the real deal so um I'm gonna be doing some uh some content with them uh, which is cool I'm gonna do some informative stuff um, on how to clean how to use um, I'm gonna be putting that on the channel um, and then also something cool and that's good for me is uh they've got a big following on instagram man they've got a hundred thousand followers on Instagram and we're gonna do some we're gonna do some crossover work uh together on Instagram uh promoting that stuff so um, that might give me a, that might give me a nice bump, uh, as far as the channel goes, but that that's more, more to come, more to come. But speaking of wonderful industry partners, Blickman engineering has been the pioneer of nano brewing and they have helped hundreds of successful breweries achieve their dreams since they started with one barrel systems in 2006. Now offering a full suite of brew houses up to 15 barrels skidded and insulated matching cellaring equipment keg washers, grain mills, and more sized specifically for the Nano Brewer. Blickman Pro Brewing Systems are competitively priced without sacrificing quality. And the simple design and factory direct support from our brewing experts gets you up and running faster than anything else on the market. When you're ready to go pro or just kicking the tires, be sure to reach out to them for expert advice and a partner to help you through it all. Turn your dreams into a reality by reaching out to Phil, Tom, or Josh at ProSeries at BlickmanEngineering.com. Again, that's ProSeries at BlickmanEngineering.com. Blickman Engineering Pro Brewing is proud to be the equipment sponsor for this channel and is committed to helping every brewer, no matter where they are in their journey. Uh, Give them a shout. Uh, Shoot them an email. Thanks for uh, telling. Thanks for uh, supporting your boy, Adam Mills, over at Adam Makes Beer. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, CT Home Brewing. Uh, any plans on tall sizes? I'd be happy to pay the upcharge, dude. Check it out because they do have they do have a range of sizes in these, um, and they will also actually. Uh, I can double check in the store, and if they don't. Um, they actually have a size guide that would actually show how long the different portions of of the shirt is. Um, so uh, so check it out. So check it out. Check it out. And like I said, the merch thing. Um, I'm gonna be uh, we're we're gonna be dropping some more things here there. We're figuring out. It's it's wild. The things that you can the things that you can put a logo on. Um, I have sold I have sold two Brew Daddy mugs. So there you go you animals um you asked for it you got it but anyways let's uh let's let's check out a couple of things here everybody let's uh let's try we're we're gonna jump right in on this and, and try it like that do you see that question just pop up there all smooth like this is from andrew Hey Adam, have you ever ran into pre-boil volume issues because your grain was stored too hot? I'm trying to chase down a seemingly random issue with being short on volume by almost twenty percent, which sounds improbable. Okay, so let's 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 try to jump into this a little bit. Um, pre-boil volume issues because your grain was stored too hot. So it sounds like to me what you're asking is 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 it possible that how your grain is stored is so hot and dry that it has lowered the amount of moisture in the kernel leading to more absorption during the mashing process. That's what it sounds like you're asking me, Andrew. And that's how I'm going to proceed answering the question and you can you can jump in and clarify for me on the fly here I mean I guess that's possible right um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what what moisture content is is going to be on the okay bingo good we're on the same page um, or by go either e- either way um yeah I mean I guess it's possible. Um, but off the top of my head, I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking moisture probably is somewhere maybe around four or five percent on grain, maybe I'm on malt. Uh, maybe if somebody wants to to look that up for me real quick, and and, and I'll keep riffing, and and you can drop it in the uh, and and you can drop it in the chat. But uh, moisture is not like uh, you know it, it that that's kind of like part of the whole idea, right? Both for for storage ability right or or you know shelf stability of of the malt and things like that i mean i guess if it's super hot and super dry where you are um maybe it's possible to drop that um to that point but i i would almost start looking in 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 a couple of different areas and some of the things i'm gonna say you know might sound kind of simple but um and i don't mean them to sound insulting but we're, we're tracking down some issues with with the brew house um me and some of the other guys over over at sonder and we're having a conversation it's like you talk out every possible solution right even if you know it probably is not it but you you just try to break it all the way down so i mean my guess is is uh you're probably not getting that much loss um how much um how much loss are you getting volume wise I mean, my gut would be what would actually be going would actually be going to the measurement side. Okay. Yeah. Moistures. Yeah. Okay. So moisture is usually around, uh, four and a half, uh, percent. Did you just pick a number that it was directly in the middle of what I did? I, Cause I think I said four to 5%. So if, uh, if, I mean, if that number is right, I mean, goodness gracious, I'm going to feel good about myself tonight. So, um, but yeah, I mean, maybe if 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 you're in some crazy dry area but my feeling is is there's something going wrong on the measurement side okay whether uh whether it is the volume of grain going in the volume of water going in you looked it up well that's good i mean that's what the internet's for you know um but that that's that's my feeling there um also you know potentially um yeah, I mean, because you're talking about a loss of volume, li- liquid volume. Yeah, I mean, my gut wants to take it from there. So, and especially since it sounds like you're you're having an issue getting your kettle to the volume you want it to be. That that's what I'm assuming you're saying here, Andrew. It, if that's the case, that that seems that seems awfully odd to me. Um, I I do understand why you're you know. Extra absorption could be, could be a possibility, but that one's that one's got me a little a, a little sideways. Other than to say that potentially it's more it, it's it's more on on the measurement side, right? Um, that's the only thing I can make of it. Now, um, you know, I'm assuming you're running everything through a recipe calculator, and you have the, we're just gonna call it like the rule of thumb. Uh, the rule of thumb, 10th of tenth of a gallon per pound of grist. Um, that's, you know, you have that loss, you know, which is accounted for. Andrew continues. I've been, I'm going to start weighing my water, weighing my water additions. Been brewing for 20 years and this has happened three times this year. Uh, even brewing silver. <laughs> yes, mistakes can be made uh even when brewing sober, but yeah i mean maybe maybe uh doubling back down uh on that side man um so yeah that that would be my only guess because because with the moisture content so low already i mean man first of all it, you it would almost be like you would have to willfully be trying to to get that stuff drier drier is it uh, is it incredibly like hot and dry where you are because I and, and listen, I d I don't think it matters. I I, I don't think that's I, I don't think that's what it is. Um I mean maybe it'd be a really small percentage of it if you're living in the hottest, driest area. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it all comes back to to, to note taking. You know what I mean? Um and get yourself a, a a form for a brew log that you like, um and take good notes um and, and, and try to track that stuff down. So uh, I appreciate the question, man. Mad Viking, I think you, you might actually even have another question in, in, in here tonight, man. Uh, hey, Adam, at what point in the brew day should you take pH readings and what should it be at each stage? Um, it is a little bit of a it, it depends question. Um, for me, I would say like the big ones. Um, for me personally, um, I, like a, I like a mash pH. Um, And we're going to we're going to say ahead of time that we already have an understanding of our mash water, uh, you know, uh, of our strike water and and what pH and and water profile that is. So we're going to say that's that's an understood already. But uh, I would say uh, your initial mash, um, you're going to want a a pH on your initial mash. Um, I personally like to uh, check the uh, the pH of my sparge. Uh, especially as I get toward the end, I find, you know, as I dial that in, you know, when I was at Cartridge, the the crazy alkalinity I was dealing with there, you know, um, we had to we had to work a lot at it with with acid additions and whatnot. But um, but yeah, so I, I like kind of a first runnings, a last runnings uh, pH sample. Um, I like a pre boil and I like a post boil. Um, the pre-boil probably isn't uh, like the. Well, I mean it is. You, I mean, yeah. I mean, your your pre-boil or post-boil. But then again, remember I'm dealing with large volumes too. Um, and but you know, I mean, really, you, you don't need a large volume for 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 pH samples. Um, do make sure to be cooling those pH sample samples to uh, the calibration range of your uh, of your pH meter. Um, but then, I mean, definitely final the final pH of, of the beer, you know, uh, of a degas sample of your beer. those are the ones I do. Um, and you you could make an argument either way. you know, I, I could see you,, um, you know, I could see somebody arguing against whatever, but th- that makes me feel comfortable. I like that, and I feel like those are markers that can let me know if there's some things going on, right? Like right now, right now um we track ph daily uh through all of our fermentations um i can see seven days a week three 365. um i can see some brewers saying that that's not necessary um i'm not gonna argue with you um but at the same time though it it's very cool to be able to see um i mean you can almost track what's it's almost as accurate a measurement as as gravity is in some ways when 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 you're tracking it like that and you get used to what your yeast strain is doing you know it goes down to wherever it goes down to then it slowly starts ticking back back up again right um so yeah um that's what i do um and uh that's kind of what i would suggest and and just a couple of notes on ph meter depending on what you're doing on what scale i would say you know get the best pH meter that you can uh, keep it stored in an appropriate solution. Um, You have to keep that probe wet, man, because otherwise it's not going to that probe's going to blow out on you. Um, Maintain it well, calibrate it, uh, calibrate it often. And yeah, so uh, appreciate the question, Mad Viking. Let's go with uh, let's go with the question from September in June. Any resolutions in regarding to the brewery uh, and beer this year for yourself apart from the AMB dynasty? <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I am moving into a role where I am uh, probably half of my time is going to be on the floor uh, doing brewing uh, things, whether that be brewing, cellaring, uh, or, or whatnot, um, I still do have to get cross-trained to uh, the canning line. I'm not sure how high of a priority uh, that is uh, for, for my boss right now, for me to get cross-trained on canning. Um, but we do want to get guys cross-trained uh, across multiple, you know, really we want everybody cross-trained across everything, right? Um, because that gives us uh, ultimate flexibility and uh, scheduling and, and, and things like that. Um, I, I think as, as far as Sonder goes, I want to continue to grow in uh, my level of comfort with the new equipment and new processes that, that we use there. I want to get better as, uh, this is also pertaining to job um, because the other portion of my job is, is management leadership. I want to continue to get better as, uh, as a leader. Um, it's still one of the hardest things uh, in leadership for me is seeing something that I have an issue with and just bringing it up uh immediately and just like dealing with it in a, in a reasonable way I'm not saying that like I fly off the handle because i I typically don't um at least not in the workplace <laughs> um but um but yeah uh sometimes you, you see something you're like I wish that was being done differently um and you just sit on it right? Because it's awkward. I want to get better at being more more assertive uh, with that. Um, Because that's the way you keep uh, small problems from becoming big problems, right? Because then all of a sudden, you you know, you find yourself, it's a little thing that you want something done a different way. Um, And uh, you don't say anything as the leader in the situation. Uh, You keep seeing it and you get more and more irritated. Um, So that's something that I want to grow uh, in a way that I want to grow at work. Um, also, um, as, as far as beer goes, uh, continuing to understand beer quality, uh, better and better. Um, and then, and then get some, and then get some, some side beers on here and there. Um, I'm, I'm kicking around, uh, Chase has told me, just, just let me know when, when I want to, uh, do, do, do a beer, get, get a beer in production. Um and I don't know. Right now I'm just kind of focused on other stuff and then I'm and I'm kind of kicking around what I wanna what I want to be doing there, right? So anyways, that's uh that that's kind of the deal there. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. Um it's a little less focus on on the on the creative side per se. Um I'm definitely going to be focused on trying to um you know become more profitable in the brewery um so whether that be on the procurement side or uh you know sourcing um you know looking at different uh different products uh that that might help uh increase uh productivity efficiency uh things like that um so no like no like really big like um awesome like brewing brewing things but the, this position that I've taken at Sonder, like I, I think, this is kind of the area that I need to be focused in right now, um, and then I can see myself uh, shifting gears and being able to think a little bit more on the the beer side of things. But right now, I'm very much in a situation where um, my primary stuff is my primary role is going to be focused on getting some uh, some management leadership uh, type stuff done. So, yeah, hopefully that's that's not a uh, an, an unsexy answer for uh, for for my beer people out there, but that's that's kind of where it's kind of where uh, I'm rolling with it. So appreciate the question in September. Uh, spooning and voot is uh, in there, uh, keeping it real. And it is key to keep uh, the pH probe wet and it will blow out on you if, if, if you don't. So. I don't know if that was, <laughs> if that was a direct quote, I mean, I'll, I'll own it. It, it. it is written, it is written in quotes. Uh, Mad Viking, you're welcome. Uh, CT Home Brewing wants to know, uh, what are some non-traditional ingredients that I've tried to brew or experiment with? Not a lot, man. Um, I, I've actually been thinking a little bit uh, more, um, me with the, the gluten thing going on. Um, I'm gonna have a question a little bit later where where somebody asked some questions about about Clarex, and I'm gonna be looking for. Um, I, I need to start digging into uh, some beer on the gluten free side. Um, so, but yeah, but but I'm I'm not super familiar with it um, because there's there's those grains, you know, like uh, I think spelt. I think spelt is. I could be I could be wrong, um, but there's sorghum and and some different things like that. I personally think the 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 big step forward with gluten with gluten free beer is going to be something that happens on the enzymatic side. We're using traditional ingredients, and it's something on the enzymatic side that's that's making the difference there. But that's just that's just me. Yeah, and by the meter with uh, replaceable probes. Yes, Tim Summers, welcome, man. Speaking of Tim Summers, next question is from Tim Summers on YouTube. Adam, all caps, let's play a hypothetical here. You're starting your own brewery, aren't planning on doing distro right off the bat, just going to do tap room with some package sales added in. What's your ideal brewing capacity with, say, 10 beers on tap uh, at least to start? All right, so let's, let's dig into this a little bit. A lot of times, people will say that you want to buy uh, the biggest system that you can, um, and things like that. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not necessarily co- completely on on board with that. Um, I do see the idea where sometimes people are like, um, "Oh yeah, well, you want a really big system so you can grow, and it, it'll make it easier to scale." I don't know. I, I I think most times, most places I've been in have systems that are um, maybe too big for, for what they have going on. Um, and what it does is it, it, it limits reps. Now there's a flip side to that. There's a, there's a labor element to that, but, um, but anyhow, let, let, let's, let's kind of look at it from this standpoint. So let's, let's start off by talking about what's the volume of beer that you need to be able to make, uh, to be profitable, right? Um, because that's the, that's, that's the golden ticket here, right? And when you do that, don't sit there, don't sit there and, and plot out, oh, well, you know, I'm selling six, seven, eight, nine dollar pints or whatever and doing your math all through pint math um, because you're going to be selling beers in can. You're going to be selling beer to go. The margin on those things are all different. Also, you're probably not going to get 124 pints out of your half barrel. Um, there's going to be loss, different things like that. So you know, give yourself some cushion, but you know your business plan should have a very specific amount of beer that's going to make you profitable. And that's what you need to build backward from. You know, um, I know you see a lot of places out there where, you know, for a long time, before like the nano nano thing started. Uh, I, I think you saw a lot of people that were doing, um, you know, kind of seven barrels was kind of like the smallest that, that you could find. Um, and you know, there are some, you know, like some Frankenbrew rigs, stuff like that and whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think you need to go huge. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses to buying new and, and, and buying used as well. I've worked on new brew houses and had good experiences. I've worked on new brew houses and had bad experiences. Um, you know, used does mean at some point more, you know, something's going to go wrong at some point. You can depend on having to swap pumps out and seals and a whole bunch of different things, right? Um, so it, it, it can be tricky. Um, but you, you do definitely want to start off with what is that volume of beer you, you, you need to be selling, right? And then, and then kind of scale from there. If you're the person brewing, um, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough um, because you're going to be running a business and, and dealing with business problems as well as, you know, making beer and brewery problems. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would be good to have somebody help you on one side or the other. In my mind, um, you know, if you're if you're looking at, uh, you know, I, I need to make 500 barrels a year to be profitable. We have we have a really lean model. 500 barrels a year, 600 barrels a year, 700 barrels a year, something like that. I think you're looking at, you know, like a like a 5 to 7 barrel system, right? Something that can keep you brewing 100 times a year. Um, you know, and you're turning things over. Uh now in 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 defense of something like a 5 barrel system, you could uh, you know, have some 5 barrel tanks, some 5 barrel fermenters. And some ten-barrel fermenters, right? Because it kind of brings me to my to my next point. You know, the bulk of the beer that you're going to be selling is probably like three to four SKUs, right? Uh, that's a little bit of like uh, you know like grocery talk or whatever, but you know there, it's going to be three to four beers or three to four types of beers that are going to be carrying your brand. Depending on where you are, you know, uh, I have a feeling it might be you know the lightest beer you sell, an IPA. A fruit beer and something else, right? Um, probably something else adjunct, <laughs> depending on depending on where you're at. But really, I mean the, the bulk of the beer you're gonna make is is going to be and even even if you have shifting brands, it's still going to be light beer, IPA, fruity beer, more than likely, right? Um, so yeah. So, you know, don't be afraid to look at the, the utility of a double sized tank. Right. So if if you have that rice lager or you have that that light blonde ale that you put on that cream ale, whatever, um, and you want to double batch that, you know, and do do 10 barrels, you know, do two turns on your on your five barrel brew house for 10 barrels. That's fine. Um, Because, you know, the reality is, is I've seen I feel like I've seen more people overbuy equipment and lose their brewery. Than underbuy equipment and not be able to expand. Right. Um, so I don't know. And and maybe you're a brewery owner in in the chat right now and you're like, you know, this guy's a complete idiot. But um, but yeah. So Tim is following up in the chat. Um, I'm hoping that I'll have a head brewer and a front of house manager as well. Uh, and let me run the business, let the experts do what they do best. Tim, I, I, I think that's, I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea. And I don't, and hopefully that doesn't sound sarcastic when I say that, but you know, you know, actually, uh, get some people with, with, with some expertise, man, you know, um, and yeah, communicate well with them. Um, and yeah, uh, keep, keep me in the loop, man. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in stuff like that. So I always like to, to help, uh. Uh, give a shout out to uh, those out of make beer listeners that are that, that are doing their thing out there. So Tim, uh, appreciate the question. and that's kind of where I would take it from there, right? That's just some some of my thoughts on on what you need to be doing sizing wise. Um, and I know we we hit a few different things, but but I think there might be some things in there that can that that can uh, give you some guidance. See you, dude. September, yeah, I think you're. I, I'm. I'm. Hopefully, that wasn't a, a question that. Uh, hopefully, it wasn't any power suggestion. But but your palate is your palate is sharp enough uh, that you know. Um, yeah, the corn lends uh, a, a a slightly sweeter tone to those beers. I, I think. What well, What did you prefer, uh, the the rice version of that beer or the corn version of it? Obviously, no wrong answer. We're we're talking personal preference. And also, as far as Tim Summers, uh, he's, uh, he's he's a Wisconsin fella, Appleton. Well, uh, you know, keep us keep us in the loop as as you go, brother. Next question comes from Andy on YouTube. Don't you need a pressure gauge on the couplers so you know what pressure is in the keg, and to manage flow rate to the keg? Now, this was a question that came off of my keg filling uh the keg filling video that i did tutorial that i did um that was an older one it was it was from cartridge and basically that was me just using i'm filling off keg couplers i was using tees to build off the side port of my tank and that was giving me multiple kegging lines off of it and uh, you can also have a manifold for that you can buy those as well um and sometimes those manifolds come with an extra port that is for a pressure gauge. Um, and then how you're managing flow rate in that situation is you can either have like the little the little hissy GW Kent like screw in like float uh, check valves that stick off stick off the end of them. Um, they're fine. Uh, i I feel like if you're in a pub situation, You can just kind of uh not sweat those things um and i know some people will say you know there's a level that they're supposed to be filled to they can freeze and explode and i mean I, i i know all that stuff and and i know that the head pressure stuff um so uh just side note william in the chat love you man uh there's that handsome devil happy new year to you happy new year to you too bill miss you man uh wishing you and the family the best um and so that's, that's, what, that's what I was doing. So I, I kind of built my own manifold out of, out of tees going off the side. And then, um, you know, the, the keg coupler, I would put the little small closed valve, the, the, the little small valve on both the input and output, right? And so really, it's, it's, it's the gas portion that you're cracking open to start relieving, start relieving pressure to allow beer to come into the keg as you off gas so that's that's what's that's how you're really driving it right um is is the off gas uh speed um you will have uh some loss when kegging of co2 but if you're being reasonable if you're keeping it to an eight to ten minute fill on a half barrel uh, maybe even a hair faster you know i'm i'm not sure that i s- had pressure i probably should have said uh Sponding is pointing that out. Um, i mean i don't know man i i I don't know anybody that uses the the pressure gauge i'm not saying the pressure gauge is wrong um but uh i mean most most people that i know just use that pressure gauge port as another port to be kegging off of um i feel as if uh as long as you're not you know you have a keg that is uh already pressurized right so it's not like you're just taking a, a a keg with with no head pressure and then just dumping, you know, carved beer into it and stuff like that. You know, if if, if you have a a reasonable uh, amount of pressure similar to what you have in your in your bright tank or your packaging tank, I I think you're going to be all right. Maybe that's a little bit of a sloppy guy answer from me, um, but but I I don't think I don't think it needs to be sweated all that much, so yeah. Thanks for the question, though, man. Um, B McGee on YouTube. Is it bad that I really want to see that brood log layout? We've been tinkering with ours forever. Uh, First of all, I'll tell you this. He's referring to uh, a brood log from some uh, brew day that I did. If you don't know, I have, you know, 15, 20, full length brew days, um, on, on a 15 barrel system over at cartridge brewing, uh, uploaded, uh, under the playlist on, on the YouTube page. So, so check that stuff out. And he probably saw my brew log at some point in there. I, I will say this, that there's like, there's legitimate typos in there. Um, and so I'm telling you where to find this right now. And I'm positive chloride is spelled wrong on there. All right. So, so don't come at me with your, you should have used, uh, you, you should have used spell check, Adam. You should have been less disappointing. I'm like, who are you, my kids? So, um, the, the brew log is, is going to be there. It is. in if you go to, it's the first brew day that I did on YouTube. It is the, um that maybe the, the most difficult beer we brew. It's on brewing uh Mexican lager, light American lager. Um, it's one of my earliest brew day videos. It's me reaching up at the camera, and Maggie is, is sweet and smiling behind me. And those those are those are some glory days right there. Back with young brew deck, Maggie Jenkins, and uh big Josh Halper. I mean, man glory days but yeah uh in the description of that video there's a link to uh the brew log that i use um you can uh you can love it you can hate it uh it kind of measures the the main things that that i'm looking for there's some things on there that i want to measure for but that i don't um but yeah um it's just it's just what what works for my brain um And so, uh, you can, you can check that out on there, but this is also kind of a a public service announcement for do something to be tracking your, your brew days, right? Um, it's, it's a very, very important part of it And, and spinning into some of the other questions that we've talked about tonight, tracking your pH from multiple, from multiple points throughout the brew day, stuff like that. You know what I mean? So yeah, B McGee, uh, get in there and, uh, download that brew log i think it's just the pdf version of it um enjoy the typo on chloride and uh and you know run with it make changes to well i guess you can't really make changes to it because it's a pdf but i mean you know i'm right hey we've got i i some folks were concerned that uh i would have less people watching because of uh football today but you know what? I this is a relatively robust, off the top uh, viewership for us right now. So, yeah, hundred pounds of wheat malt. What, what are you talking about, Spunding? Next question comes from Cy Shoemaker on YouTube. Adam, you mentioned clerics. Do uh, are you sensitive to gluten? Does it work well in that regard? Oh yeah, wheat and malt. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. Spooning as always. Spooning on votes. Always on point. Um. So yeah, does Clarex work well? Um. I, so disclaimer on all this stuff. This is just my experience with it. Um. And uh, Bruce Clarex seems to be. Brewer's Clarex seems to work well for me. Now, um, I have not drank more than two beers in a sitting, two, two Clarex beers. So I have not drank any beer at all that has not been brewed with Brewer's Clarex since uh, probably February of 2023. Um, and this is now January 1st. So it's, it's, it's been some time. I I don't believe I've had more than two beers in in a drinking session uh, since then. Um, And I probably have not had more than two beers a month on average uh, in that time. So um, with doing it like that, it works well for me. Right. Like I don't I don't gain uh, I don't gain tons of weight immediately. I don't suffer from a a ton of anxiety and depression afterwards as I'm dealing with the, uh, you know, the inflammation and whatnot, uh, because that's how it affects me. Um, So so that's good. Uh, But I'm I'm consuming very, very little beer. Um, So, you know, just, you know, all that said um you know your mileage may vary you know it's never anything you can really advertise um but yeah it it seems to it it seems to work well it seems to work well for me now i would be interested in uh in your gluten-free beer recommendations now i know maybe nobody has any good ones to recommend not saying anything about the beer uh, but i do know that there is like there's been a reputation of bad gluten-free beer. And I think a lot of that stuff was things that, uh, some of the big beer guys were doing and and putting stuff out into the market. Um, but I know more and more places are popping up. I I should probably lean into this a little bit more because I'm, I, I'm, I'm concerned about my capacities, uh, sensory wise, um, not being able to taste beer. Um, and, uh, you know, uh Sonder is is great about it. I, I run, you know, smell sensory on everything. Um, but I, I don't taste and and I don't do the the swish uh and and spit wine stuff either uh you know ladies and gentlemen I just it's not worth it to me like the the way I feel is is so remarkably uh bad that uh yeah so um but yeah, please drop uh, suggestions in the comments if, if you have uh, gluten-free uh, beers in your area uh, that you like. Let me know um, because I, I should start uh, dipping in on some of that stuff. Um, and honestly, uh, yeah, I should I, I should be more aware of what's happening in that space. Um, so yeah, I would love to see I, I would love to see uh, I would love to see some recommendations from you all on that. Uh, and the other note is on Clarex, remember, Clerx is also sold as an additive that can extend filter life. That's something that's, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure they have to have some sort of proof to be able to back that up, But, um, but yeah. September, in June, could you get a body transplant so you can drink beer again? September, I don't know if I would want to give up all of this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's sarcasm. But yeah, let's uh Spooning is is in the chat doing doing his thing. Um so that's <laughs> Oh man, they're they're popping off in there. Hey human on earth, uh good to good to see you Good to see you. Beer and distilled whiskey format, good alternative. It's true, but you know, man, spirits spirits can be tricky. And like, I also like, I like refreshing beverages, and um, and so yeah, you can get into cocktails and stuff like that for sure. Um, but like, uh, I mean, you see, you see, I'm on the, you know, I, this is this is full strength, baby. This is OG. This is Lacroix today. You know, um, yeah. So um, but I mean, I, I drink like light refreshing stuff, even in my even in my everyday. So I mean, the spirits thing, I mean, you know, and and this one is a is a shout out to to William in the in the chat, you know. I'm 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 no stranger, you know, in, in the past to uh some fine spirits uh for those for those Canadian nights. What uh what what was what was that beverage? Um that we always used to take on a on a camping trip way back in the day. It was Yukon, uh, Yukon Jack. Uh, so I mean, but no, in, in all seriousness, though, I, I do enjoy bourbon. Uh, I do enjoy cocktails, um, but uh, I don't know. It's just and yeah, and I am good with gin. I I, I prefer uh, September is asking. You know, am I good with gin? Uh, I do like gin. I, I do prefer Hendricks though i don't know if there's is there even such a thing as a real gin head out there but like i don't know if like gin nerds would be like offended by you know the fact that i like hendrix cuz i know it's not a uh you know it's not a big juniper forward uh, beverage and that's kind of what i prefer um but to me i mean you can i, I can just go i could borderline drink hendrix straight like that's that it's, it's that enjoyable to me now it's it's nicer you know over over some rocks with uh with uh, you know a, a little bit of you know bubbly water with it you know what i mean uh a little tonic but uh but yeah i'm a i'm a i'm a big fan of of hendrix um but yeah i'm not i'm, I'm not i'm not big on i'm not big on uh juniper um yeah cocktails cocktails are cocktails are tasty man uh next Question comes from Bondi Beach Beer on YouTube, bro. Listen, I need to do. We're gonna need to do this drawing thing. You guys have to remind me at at six thirty, so an hour and a half in. We're we're gonna need to do the drawing, okay? So, yeah, for 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 the t-shirt. So so remind me, um, Bondi Beach Beer. Adzi, you informative firecracker. I think he continues to ask questions just because I pointed out the fact that he always has a new way to address me, and uh, he failed. He, I mean, he he never he never disappoints. Yeah, you yeah, informative firecracker. My name has been Adam since the day I was born. Okay, if you were wondering, my name has been Adam since the day I was born. Never in my life have I been called Adzy. Now I've been called Addy. All right, so like. My wife will sometimes um you know little little cute names right but uh, I've been called a lot of things but never adsy so I mean this guy this guy comes out he's he's firing he's firing uh, you informative firecracker as always thanks for the great info. how do you perform your titrations Now if you have not seen the CIP, tutorials that i have thrown up on youtube recently of our cip skid at sonder and our cop pot at sonder you want to get in and see that stuff man now and i'll be i'll be honest i know that what i'm showing you right there is very much like a cadillac system it's it's very very fancy it's very very cool it's very very efficient um, and I realized that not everybody can have that, but it, it's good to it's good to see that equipment and have an understanding of it. Right. Um, because it, it, it makes us sharper as as professionals or, you know, folks, folks on the on the home side, the amateur side. And I also heard something that I liked recently. Sometimes there's a negative connotation with the word amateur. When you actually break it down is it, when, when you're an amateur, you're doing it for the love of something. Right because you love it and 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 i like that i think we should all have like that some of the amateur spirit to what we're doing even if we're doing something professionally right so um i did post those two uh cool i they're cool because the equipment's cool i'm not like you know back padding here i posted those two cool videos because the information's cool the 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 equipment's cool and um I mentioned in the CIP one that, that we do titrations. And so what is that, first of all? So these titrations are letting me know that I have the appropriate amount of caustic in that uh, liquid, right? This is the maybe the simplest way to say it. But I, I have the appropriate ratio of cleaning solution uh, in the water that I'm using, right? And so whether it be the caustic, the acid, the parasitic acid. It's letting me know the chemical concentration inside there. So how we do that is we have titration kits for each one. So on each one, we have a little box on top. We take that down like for caustic. I have to fill it to, I believe, five milliliters. So I'm circulating my caustic. I can either get the caustic off of the tank itself have where it's dripping out of the tank or a sample valve somewhere along the way. And then I take, there's usually two two things that you have to use. There's the green cap, where it's two drops of green cap. And then it's uh, a second one with a white cap that I go in and the the green cap will turn the caustic liquid pink. And then I do a drop of the titration liquid, swirl it, it stays pink. Drop again, stays pink. As soon as it goes clear, that's the number of drops that I know that will help me know how much chemical is in solution. So for me personally, the, the kit that I'm using, every drop that I use is a quarter of a percent. All right. So if, if I'm using caustic and I'm and I'm uh, looking, you know, to be between one and one and a half percent, I want to see four to six drops before that pink liquid turns clear. Okay. Different ones may have different colors, different things like that. I don't know what each individual uh, the you know the the two agents that I add to it. Um, I don't know what the names of those are off the top of my head, but all that stuff can be provided by your by your equipment manufacturer, right? Uh, I'm I'm sorry, your your chemical manufacturer, and they'll probably be excited that that you want to use it <laughs> um, because uh, we we really should be, we we really really should be. I think sometimes we, we might be we, we might be surprised, you know, sometimes we're busting open a fermenter or a bright tank and we think we have a whole lot of CO2 out of that thing. Um, and, you know, next thing you know, you're neutralizing your caustic or something like that. So anyways, uh, it, it's a good thing to do to make sure you're not wasting, um, uh, that you're not just dumping extra chemical down the drain, uh, money savings uh, and then just effectiveness of of, of what you're doing. Right. So uh appreciate the question, Bondi. Let's take a look. <laughs> you guys, Bill, Bill, you you guys uh see, maybe I just have high school blacked out, like blocked out. Uh and, and it wasn't blacked out because we were we were very we were very straight laced kids. Uh with Bill and I, I mean we would our, our wild thing was sometimes we were country kids, probably still our country kids, right um, Our wild thing was we would go out to a, a buddy's farm and he had like a sand pit area and like a dune, and we would drink mountain dew, burn a huge round bale uh, that was placed on top of some old stumps that was torn up from the property. Uh, we would burn that thing and run and jump off that sand hill drink Mountain Dew by the gallon, uh and like play like wholesome games like hiding in the corn and like you know hide and go seek stuff like that. So but yeah uh if I, I will tell you if somebody if if somebody called me Adsy back then the years have washed those memories away. But uh but if anything it, it probably just forms you know uh I'm I'm sure that's true. Potentially there's just some sort of uh, you know, previously unrealized mental connection with, with my man, Bondi beer, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Spooning at what point do you think you're going to be able to address each thing to a prior video, uh, each question to a prior video? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, we'll see. It's, it's one of those things from a, from a content creation standpoint um, you know, the the model that I'm following right now is, you know, I'm doing a, a video a day um, and in part that's because uh, I want to have the reputation as somebody that produces a lot of content um, to let people know that I'm serious about what I'm doing in part um, and uh, showing that there is, uh, you know, showing that there is value to, to what I'm doing. Um, and so sometimes, like, some questions I've had, like, you know, I've posted answers for multiple times, you know. Um, but it's one of those things where um, I doubt somebody is going to be going back and seeing the fact that I answered a similar question, like, you know, 10 months before. If they do, and they're that big of a channel nerd, then, uh, then yeah. I mean, it is what it is. But, yeah, sometimes... Uh, but I, what I really should be doing, and something that I'm not doing, is like with the kegging video that I referenced before, the 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 brew log video stuff like that. I need to be on my game enough to be linking those videos in the sh- in the short versions of these that I cut up. I need to get better at that. But there's 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 only so much. There's only so much time. And spooning, uh, I I know full well there wasn't anything. Yeah, there was no like. Yeah, you're 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 good, man. I I I get it. I get it. Um, next question comes from Riv Riv Rivera on YouTube. One of my favorite names. This was in re- in response to a video on the COP pot at Sonder. So I just released a video on uh, how we clean smalls at Sonder, right? And in the past, we've actually talked about cleaning smalls a few different times on the channel where um, – you know, you have all, all your Lego pieces for your brew day, right? That are not permanently attached to a tank. You've used them; they're dirty. How do you get them clean for the next day, right? We, we've we've talked about multiple ways of doing that and things. So, uh, but at at Sonder, they have this awesome COP pot. So clean out of place, so you can put all the smalls in there. It has its own pump, and it pumps water like in a circular fashion around. So it actually we actually get flow with it as well, which is which is crazy. It's very cool. Um, so this 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 question is in this question was attached to that video. So I just explained how you know we have this cool thing. It has a pump, it's all stainless, it's circulating, you know, it, it's all again a, a very Cadillac type thing to have. And then River Riv Rivera in the comment said, I use buckets. And I'll tell you that made me laugh very hard. Uh, One, because I've used buckets as well. The super majority of my time brewing, I've used buckets. Um, And I I think it was just it was just a funny response, right? Um, But I do think it speaks to a larger point, right? Where Right now, I'm in a situation where we don't necessarily have to find a lot of workarounds, right? There, there are occasions, right? Um, there was we were troubleshooting a valve issue on the brew house last week, and and we we had we had to, you know, do something not not janky, but you know, you had to find your your workaround for it. Um, and so, you know, the, the content, the brewery content that I'm doing right now with Sonder is, is showing some high level stuff. But, you know, a, at the same time, it can feel like, well, oh, I'm using equipment like this or equipment like that isn't necessary. You can have a few different reactions to it. But, you know, um, when you don't have access to that stuff, that's when uh, that's when it's stretching that brain, man. And, and it's putting you in a situation where you need to troubleshoot. Right. You need to find efficiencies. Um, you need to. uh You know, I think it can make you a a more uh, industrious brewer, right? Um, So it it puts you in a situation where you have to problem solve. Yeah, in September and June said, I use buckets as well. That rig you have is insane. And it is. It's awesome. Uh, It's absolutely awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Spooning and votes. I am not going to read that uh, live, uh, but you're funny. Um what else what else what else so yeah that was really at river vera yeah man I, I i get it using buckets um it, it's great but you know uh also uh there's 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 positive to having fancier equipment and there's positives to having you know less fancy equipment you know i think it can make us a little bit sharper right so anyhow next question El Camino, I think I have you for a question a little bit later too, but let's uh let's take a look at this. El Camino Mas Largo Brewing. And and uh, sorry for my for my uh pronunciation there. Cold crash. I've used Kvike at high temps to make pilsners before, and they turn out okay, but it's not quite the flavor profile I'm looking for. If I ferment a pilsner using lager yeast under pressure, do I need to keep it 64 to 68 or can I ferment it at ambient at 70 to 72? All right. So I'm going to, oh, I, I need to, I can actually throw this question up uh, in, in a couple parts here. So this is interesting and and I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give a, a range of answers on this. Uh, first, let's address the whole uh, Kvike a uh, lager-like uh, thing. I know people will say with a with ye- yeast like Lutra, and maybe some others that you can make a beer that is very lager-like. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm sure you can make a clean beer. Um, I remember the first time though I had used a lot of American ale yeast in my brewing, in my home brewing uh, career, my time home brewing, and then the first time I brewed a lager at home. I smelled it and I'm like, damn, that's clean. Like there's nothing aromatically other than malt and hops that are in this beer, right? Um, And there was just nothing to it. And and I I was used to smelling American ale yeast ferment uh, and and the finished product. And I'm like, oh, that's clean, you know. But there's just something different. Now, if you want to say lager-like, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with kvike yeast. I've made probably... 150 batches of yeast with uh of of beer with kvike yeast and i i think it's it's an interesting little critter um but yeah you're not getting the flavor profile that you you want out of those fermentations and so you're looking at uh utilizing a lager strain now this is where i'll say some things that uh maybe some uh some people might have an issue with um, I would recommend that you get yourself, uh, some 3470, um, whatever, you know, that's a pretty traditional German, German lager yeast, um, pretty well, well heavily used. Maybe the, the, one of the bigger, bigger, most used lager strains out there. I know guys that have very good palates, uh, that are fermenting that strain far higher than what you might think. Okay. Um, I do know some guys that set it and forget it at 60 with that strain. And then after lagering and, uh, getting the yeast out of it and getting it brilliantly clear, um, the beers are, uh, the beers are very, very clean and these are people whose palates I trust. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a wider range in that. Um, and then we also bring up the idea of a pressure ferment and and just for reference sake pressure ferments uh fermenting under pressure can uh subdue ester form of uh formation i'll throw up the other portion of the question here real quick too it can uh, it can suppress uh it can suppress ester formation and so that means that potentially well you can make for up for it on the other side you can increase you know, fermentation temperature, especially at the beginning of fermentation, when the supermajority of those esters are formed, right? Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. There's, uh, there are some issues with pressure fermentation. If you're looking at like harvesting yeast over and over and over, um, you might have some issues with uh, pressure fermentation. Keeping more CO2 in solution of that fermenting liquid, that CO2 is toxic. To yeast, and you may end up finding that you have lower viability, maybe even lower growth, things like that. So, just thing to, something to consider uh, as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you could, you you could. I, I it, what I would do is, I, I would be interested in seeing uh, if you are going to do that at like sixty four or sixty eight. I'm assuming you can't ferment lower than that, and that's why we're having this conversation. So let's just try to troubleshoot the problem. I would try to ferment as cold as you can, with probably like see what five psi does for you. Um, you know, get some pressure on it, but maybe not all the way up to like fifteen psi or one bar or whatever people are, you know, what what people are doing that at. Uh, maybe see see if see what what see what you get out of that, right? Um, also, I I would I would recommend um. You know, check it out with some lager use and check it out with some 05. I I remember back in the day that uh that Sierra Nevada was doing some uh lager type fermentations with O5. Right. So uh so yeah, or at least experiments with it. So um that would be my that would be my recommendation on that, man. Yes, that rig is insane um next question comes from brian decker on youtube so does that grist hydrator and shoot from the grain bin ever get clogged this is in reference to the long list of brew day series that we have over on the playlist section over at adam makes beer and typically when we're mashing in you're going to be able to see me using the grist hydrator and what the grist hydrator is is for us it's you know this you know almost squarish it's 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 round um but this blocky thing that goes right on top of uh the mash tun and grain is dropped through the top of it and then there's usually like a symbol inside of it you know like a little circle but prink popped up in the center and so that grain will hit that little symbol head and then drop down and then a lot of times underneath that symbol head I'm going to create the the shape. Boom. Let me see if boom. Well, it'll you'll pump water up and underneath it, so water will sheet out around. And so as that grain drops over that that little that little symbol head, it will wet that grain on its way. It's a hydrator, right? It'll wet that grain on the way into the mash tun. Um Yes. So if I don't take that off every time, I don't usually. I, I don't know how often I, I show taking it down, but that gets cleaned every time. Every time we brew, okay, because you will get wet grain that's stuck up on top of it. It'll build up. It'll gum up. All that stuff needs to be uh, wiped out/slash cleaned. Um, everything like that. Um, so uh, yeah, and you do want to prevent keeping. Uh, you do want to prevent as much as you can getting uh, steam up in your uh, up, up in your your grist line that's dropping your your grist down if you're in a situation where you have a grist topper or a, a vessel that is holding your malted grains that it will be dropping through your hydrator into your mash tun you want to keep steam out of there um, as much as you can to prevent that stuff from get gumming up getting nasty stuff like that so yeah um yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct on, on all that stuff. I was wondering if the steam from the hot water could make its way up the chute. Yeah, so that's why as soon as that grain is done dropping, I'm slamming that chute shut. Um, I'm taking it off. I'm detaching it from the hydrator, wiping that clean. And then uh, when I'm done with the whole process, that hydrator comes down and that gets hand cleaned um, and then reinstalled uh, after after the brew day for the, for the next brew day. So yeah, uh, appreciate the question, Brian. Yeah, Andrew, uh, Andrew in the chat, uh, one upgrade for your already insane COP system would be an ultrasonic unit. Ultrasonic is awesome. Yeah, we use, I've used ultrasonic on my my carb stones and stuff. But as we get into it, so another cool thing is, so I do have, uh, I do have access to a, Oh, this is going to be, I, what, what is it? It's, it puts you under steam pressure, steam pressure, temperature. It's a sanitize, a sterilizer. Um, and it'll come to me. But yeah, we have access to stuff like that too. So we can do some, we can do some cool stuff from a quality standpoint. It's, it's very, very nice. It's very, very nice. Uh, next question is from Mai Kong on YouTube. Hi, Adam. Thanks for your video. And I have a question. If we clean the keg with sanitizer, um, or meaning using sanitizer in a clean keg, and there's liquid still inside the kegs a bit, can it spoil the beer? I use proxetane, which is 15% parasitic acid and 23% hydrogen peroxide. Short answer is yes. Um, Those are oxidizing sanitizers and if there is sanitizer left in those kegs, it can uh, it can facilitate oxidation of the beer that you're putting into those kegs. Now, one little hack that I had for that, and it was something that I learned from the illustrious Bill Bill Girds, William Girds of Linwood Brewing Concern. We always had we always had a keg coupler that. Uh, you know the, the keg coupler has the, ga- the the liquid portion that's going straight up, and then the gas portion that goes off to the side. We always had one that was blocked off, um, or we would put a valve on it and close it on the gas side, so it was only open going up. Because what we would do is we would uh, throw that in the sanitizer when we were getting ready to keg a beer, and so we would take a, a clean, sanitized keg. We would, uh, you know, hit the hit the mouth of the keg with ISA or whatever sanitizer we're using, and then we would take uh, the coupler, attach it, cover cover the top of it with our hands, uh, and then engage the coupler. Now that clean keg has you know thirteen to fifteen psi in it of CO two, and so what it would do is it would engage that keg, so drop that it would drop that stem in... In the keg down to the bottom and it would help to and it would blow out any remaining sanitizer or at least as much as we could get it out because sometimes you don't always evacuate all that sanitizer out of your keg on your keg washer now this is also a good thing to do to know that you're still hold, holding pressure in your kegs so if you're cleaning kegs and storing them and then taking them down. You know what I mean? Um, You're cleaning them one day, you're filling the next day, whatever. Um, This way, blowing, doing that little test to blow out any residual sanitizer is another good way to know that you have a valve that's still working on your keg. So it's it's kind of a dual thing. Uh, It's pretty much free. Uh, It's pretty much a free solution because you probably already have a keg coupler in house. Um, So yeah, just plug that gas side, leave the top side open, safety glasses, everything like that cover the top with your hand not like you know flat on it but like cup over it engage it it'll blast some liquid into your hand onto the keg boom get ready to fill that boy you know that's my take my kong uh hopefully that helps you out with uh with your situation all right yeah joe Joseph, my son is texting me. All my kids are home, full house. Yes, please. He's helped me out with my coffee tonight. Uh, next question comes from Syra Boy on YouTube, in regard to dry hopping cold. Would you say that at a home brewer level, we should rack to a keg to get the beer off the yeast, and then add hop, add hops, do your dry hop, and then purge the keg after at fifty eight degrees? Okay, so we're kind of dealing with some uh, with some uh, equipment issues here. So just a couple of big picture things: make sure that anything that you're doing at home. Uh, if you're doing any pressure transfers make sure that the vessel can handle pressure make sure that the receiving vessel can the the initial vessel and receiving vessel can handle any pressure that you're throwing on it um don't put pressure on glass i know people probably aren't using glass anymore um but yeah be be, be safe with that stuff okay be safe with that stuff uh, that said what um if you have a way of making a low oxygen transfer of your finished beer. This is a reference to the dry hop cold video, which is still one of my highest watched videos. Uh Bobby in the chat. What's up, man? Welcome. Um still one of my highest watched videos. I just saw even this week, uh, it's got uh quite a, a lot of views, which is which is pretty cool. Um, so I would I, I would recommend that always you're you that you're always purging the vessel as much as you can. So if you're going to be moving beer from one vessel to another, don't purge afterwards. Purge before, during, and after. In my mind, um, always when I was racking beer into kegs when I was homebrewing, um, I purged the keg. Um, I would have to open it because I didn't have the connections to to run like and do a full close transfer. But I would tent it up with some sanitized, uh, some sanitized aluminum foil. And, uh, I would keep the gas input cracked a little bit and constantly bleeding gas into that vessel that I was filling into. Right. And just purge, 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 purge. So if you are going to be going into a keg or another secondary, uh, pressurizable vessel, uh, purge ahead of time, um, get that liquid, uh, in there, you can get it, cold at that point make sure that you have head pressure on it things like that you can dry hop in that vessel that's fine if you're using a corny or some different things with some really small dip tubes just be try to there's some solutions out there for for not getting hot particulate gummed up and everything and then yeah i would look at crashing that to you know all the way down to as cold as you can for packaging and then give that some time to settle uh, and then transfer it into into your final package vessel. Uh, that's that's how I would handle that. So, yeah, I, I appreciate the question, uh, Saira Boyd. Gerald Miller on YouTube. Great t- content, Adam. Thank you. Love it. How often do you calibrate your pH meter? Thanks. Uh, we calibrate our pH meter weekly. Short answer. But... I know uh, Vinny uh, from Russian River; they calibrate it daily, so um, it might have to do with what level of OCD you're comfortable with. (laughs) But you know, in 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 all in all seriousness, uh, probably calibrating it once a week um, is, or before before you brew, you know, Um, it's uh, again making sure that you have an appropriate storage solution to extend the uh, life. The shelf life of that probe uh you definitely want to be doing that uh but yeah I, I would be doing it uh once a week for sure and and i'm i'm talking about in a commercial in a commercial from a commercial standpoint because we're using it all the time we use it multiple times a day um so yeah uh, otherwise um if you're if you're brewing occasionally i would calibrate it every time you use it you know before for every brew day that, that's what i would do hey joe Anyways, maybe Joe's not getting me coffee. Um Great question uh from September and June. Dumping yeast in regards to lagers being bottom fermenters, uh, when do you start dumping yeast? So I'm I'm gonna reference in in small part uh a conversation that I had with Dr winens i'm forgetting his first name uh i know that he was at least in the past at imperial yeast was it no it wasn't him it was it was a lab guy or maybe yeah man who am i thinking of it was definitely an imperial person but anyways yeah dude you can just come grab it my man big joe in the house grabbed me some coffee um and he said that, yes, we do refer to those yeasts as bottom fermenters, um, but really the, the, the yeast that's doing the work is primarily up in solution, right? Um, and so this was when we were talking about the idea of cone shaving, right, or uh, dropping uh, early uh, within the first 24 hours of, uh, of a fermentation, uh, slowly dropping uh, the, the contents that have settled into the bottom of the fermenter and dumping those down the drain um uh but yeah they're, they're, they're just that as a side note uh when do when do i start dumping yeast um i i think it's a pretty safe thing um, uh, to uh get yourself through uh, terminal get your beer uh get your beer passing uh vdk passing sensory everything like that uh get your beer crashing get your beer cold Um, and then if you're not going to be harvesting off of it, uh, probably after two days cold, I like to start dropping yeast off the bottom of the tank. Um, I feel like when you, either you're harvesting or you're getting that yeast off, uh, probably that first week, um, I would probably dump it at least two times, um, maybe three and then look at, uh, you know, every three to four days. Uh, maybe down to once a week as you're logging that out. Joe, you're awesome, man. Thank you, brother. That would be that would be my take on that. So um that that's how often that's how often I'm doing that. Uh, and and be gentle with it. You don't want to be ripping. You know what I mean? Uh he continues. So three dumps a week. <laughs> I, uh, I mean up front yeah I mean yeah I mean that's not typically my schedule um but that has changed since uh since I've gone gluten free uh <laughs> I'm telling you as far as ripping dumps no man I mean it's, I, it's I've been a, I've been a new man um I need to keep rocking here though next question comes from King queso great names you guys. King Queso the fourth, come correct. Okay. Don't kid yourself. King Queso the fourth. If I was doing <laughs> this, might be this month's favorite uh, username. Username. Uh, can you explain the use of ISO instead of star I understand that ISO evaporates faster, so it's good in applications like keg connections. Um, also, uh, why do you want the pH of your beer so low? I've been doing all my beers between 5.2 and 5.6 going into the fermenter. Do you target lower pH for a specific reason? So a twofer. So here you go, King Queso the fourth. Few things here. Uh, it's my understanding that uh star sand has potentially some storage issues or some shelf life issues. It specifically needs to be mixed with. RO water, distilled water, in order to maintain its clarity and maintain its long-term stability. Now, this was taken from an interview I listened to like 15 years ago from the guy from from uh, Five Star. Um, so that could be this could be dated at this point, but that that was the last thing. Um, so the reason that I like using ISO is is or alcohol is i can uh blend that down if i need to to 70 percent for iso because that's the ratio you want to be using because that 30 percent water helps to act as a catalyst for breaking down cell walls so um you know yeah uh, that's the reason why i like to use that it, it's convenient it's shelf stable uh and i know and i know it kills stuff um and why do I want pH so low? So for a couple of things. So, you know, we, we are talking about your pH going into the fermenter and we have not had a conversation of your pH in the final beer. Um, for food safety, you know, you're going to want to be under four, 4.5. I, I believe, uh, is, is that, is that number under 4.5? Um, but you know, th- there's some beers like lagers that I, I like closer to four, two, four, one, sometimes even four. Right. I feel like it. Uh, I, I feel like it. It creates a crisper tasting beer uh, for me, but that's there's there's different reasons for 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 different beer styles, right? Um, I think there's multiple factors at play when you're talking about pH levels. Uh, you know that you're kind of tracking. Um, I do know you know you can look at the amount of break material that you're creating uh, in the kettle, and that's going to be affected. Uh, by your ph uh of 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 your work um, and so you could have clarity and then consequently uh stability issues long term uh, a greater opportunity for oxidation downstream potentially um but as i mentioned before you know the food safety thing as well so uh, that's kind of my my take on those two things in a nutshell king Queso the fourth appreciate it. that's the first time i got a question from you man Wow! Uh, welcome, uh, welcome to the channel. Um, let's quick and do, uh, let's quick and do a drawing. Uh, I need uh, a question. I, I need a number, uh, one through one through twenty-one for me, real quick. Uh oh. Okay, sweet. So, chat, give me, give me a number. Uh, one through 21. Let me pull you back up here. I'm just trying to show no no uh, particular favoritism here. Uh, 17. All right. I'm taking it. All right. So I went with the number 17, and that means our own Andrew that is in the chat now. Brother, hit me up. Uh shoot me uh shoot me a message. Are you on are you on Instagram? If you are, shoot me a message on Instagram and and I'll get uh we can pick out a t-shirt style and I'll get one uh shipped out to you. So Andrew, you are our you are the YouTube member winner for the food for the food. What what am I even thinking dude? I should have been a little bit more prepared on this side, but Andrew, we got your t-shirt. Hit me up on Insta or another way. Uh, My email is floating around out there too if you need it. Um, The next one, I'm going to do eeny, meeny, mighty mo." Yeah, get on Instagram. Uh, Instagram, yeah, and then follow me and then share all my stuff. I mean, that's all you need to do. Um, So let's see here. I'm going to, all right, the, well, wouldn't you know it, the winner for the Instagram is going to be, I'm in LinkedIn too, dude. I'm everywhere. You can message me on LinkedIn. That's fine. Definitely. Uh, my user is uh, Tim Summers, uh, who's been in the chat tonight. Tim, uh, because you uh, you shared out this post on Instagram, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, hit me up LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, holler at me, and uh, we'll get the the t shirt thing lined up. And uh, yeah, you can rock yourself some uh, some Adamanks beer gear. Um, and if you don't know, uh, the link is actually in the uh, on the YouTube. Page, um, but let me see if I can pull it up here real quick. Yeah, boom. Control copy. Watch this. Control V. Boom. That is uh, that is the link. the The link I just threw up is uh, is for the is for the merch store. If you want to check that stuff out, that that new design on the hoodie I like, and I'm going to be putting that on a T-shirt too. So um, yeah. By the new design, I mean the four elements of beer, and then Adam makes beer underneath it. But listen, we gotta get rocking here, people. We got questions to ask and answer. Next question comes from El Camino, Mas Largo Brewing on YouTube. Great info as always, Adam, thank you. I've been thinking about getting a five-gallon barrel to use for my Imperial Stout recipe. I'm a home brewer. Uh, do you use a thief to pull out your samples? I assume I don't need to be worried about oxidation since stouts aren't very happy. First of all, thank you for the question. Second of all, uh, I would suggest that you take a look at the old Vinny nail, the Vinny nail approach. Uh, we're just going to talk a couple of barrel handling ideas here. Um, especially when working with smaller gauge barrels, uh, smaller size barrels like five gallon barrels, you're gonna to want to start sampling that probably after a month, uh, maybe six weeks. Um, but four weeks is probably where you're gonna to want to start being able to taste that beer a little bit. And I would recommend that you use the Vinnie nail approach. The Vinnie nail is uh, it's a three 16th, uh, Oh no, 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 no! It's a three sixteen, a stainless steel d uh 4d size nail okay so it's uh it's it's a it's a good stainless uh for food and then you're going to want a seven sixty fourth uh size drill bit okay you're going to want to clean that as well as you can spray it up with some alcohol throw it in the drill uh drill into the head i would go into the lower half of the head the round portion of your barrel the lower third drill through the center of one of the staves don't try to go between one i don't know maybe i'm being weird about it but drill through the center of a stave uh, have a clean and sanitized nail ready to go as soon as you bust through there take that drill bit out you're going to start seeing some beer squirt out get that nail in there tap it in and then you'll be able to pull that with a wrench um, to be able to get samples for your beer you're not opening the bung everything like that but a couple of things that that you said Makes me want to remind you of a couple of points when, when when you're handling this. One, do make sure that you are purging that barrel before you fill it. Okay. Purge it with CO2. Five Psi flow rate coming, well, not flow rate, but pressure coming out of your out of your CO2 canister. Give it about five minutes. Maybe that's too much, but five minutes, cover it up with a little tin foil, sanitize tin foil as you're doing that. It it's a good thing. Rack your beer in there, uh, purge your headspace again if you can. Uh, get that get that bung in there, uh, preferably one of the uh, flexible uh, nylon ones. Maybe that that can even off gas if it builds pressure. All right, but that's not really what you're asking. The thing that you mentioned that uh, was kind of stuck out to me it says, assuming I don't need to be worried about ox- oxidation, since stouts aren't very hoppy oxidation uh knows no bounds it's it's it it, uh it just does its thing it it ruins everything it ruins hop flavor and it can ruin malt character okay so just because a stout is not a hoppy beer does not mean that we want to be playing fast and loose when it comes to the oxygen okay so um like i said purge ahead of time um and uh yeah reduce oxygen at all at all turns now i will say Oxidation may be hid better by dark beers, by large, dark, robust beers, right? I think in part because a lot of us are used to drinking oxidized beers uh, that have been shipped from uh, from Europe. Okay, and that's not poo-pooing the, those beers or anything like that. You 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 try to make a you try to make a hefeweizen uh, and and throw it in a bottle and then ship it across an ocean and see how your your how your half of bison holds up okay but uh but yeah uh that's kind of the that that's kind of my 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 feel on that man I appreciate the question and uh all that good stuff now jay i don't i don't think you're in the in the thing right now but it is jay spee's i don't think it's spies i think it's spee's jay but anyways jay on youtube We have an electrically heated 20-gallon, two-vessel CIP cart for our brewery in planning. Our cart differs from yours in that it can be moved to the source for cleaning and also that it does not have a city water inlet. We will probably store caustic in the heated tank and parasitic acid in the non-heated tank. Since the heated tank has a PID, my plan was to preheat it on cleaning days ahead of time Then use our 140-degree external hot water source, or perhaps HLT water, to blast pre-rinse and preheat the FV. Then simply roll the cart to the FV, hook up a loop, and run for the recommended time. I have a few questions. Since I only have one pump in the loop, do you think that gravity will be enough to return the, uh, the bottom return water to the CIP pump without cavitating it? I assume I could just throttle the pump uh, the pump outflow. Um, I'm gonna answer some of these as we go, and then I have some notes at the end as well. Um, my big concern is uh, throttling the pump back, okay? Um, you may need a return pump. I, I'm not sure what how, how, how your setup will work. I'm not sure how much higher the bottom of your tank is set up above your cart. Uh, if they're equal, or if the cart's higher, you you might have an issue, so you might need a return pump. Okay, um, but the the main thing is, and the, the thing that's the first thing I think of when we talk about throttling back the pump, you want to make sure that you're hitting the appro- appropriate flow rate. Okay, because that's one of the key that 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 turbulence that that it's one of the key portions uh, of CIP. So, um you want to make sure that you're not going under five feet per second for your liquid or 1.5 meters per second flow rate. Okay. So this doesn't mean that you have to have a flow rate meter in line all the time. Um, but I would maybe install one when you are, uh, just have water, uh, when you're just spinning something with water, um, and test that, uh, and maybe your, your speed on your, your variable speed drive for your pump. That might be a good way to make sure that you're hitting that Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, Jay continues. How often do you change the chemicals in your CIP skid? I would assume it depends on what you're cleaning and how well you pre-rinse, but is there some SOP you have for observation or do you go by titration only? Titration is the primary driver. All right. If it gets dirty by mistake, we'll dump it. Like if it, you know, if a bunch of dirty caustic running back, uh, we, we don't like to have nasty looking caustic in there. Um but our setup has that inline water source which lends itself to clean chemical right and also there's a little bit of flush and a little bit of refreshing of that chemical or dilution of the chemical every time we feed back okay so um you know when when i'm feeding hot chemical back to the uh cip skid for for caustic um as soon as i feel that temperature start dropping I can chase a little bit more city water in there. So I am diluting, but I'm also slowly, you know, getting uh, you know, clean water back in that system too. Um, so so that's one thing. Um, and 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 our system does have this inline water feature that that that's very, very nice. Um that and I think it helps to lend itself to keep keeping uh clean chemical. Um, but yes, we do lean primarily on titration as the primary driver. Do you ever hook up two things to be cleaned in parallel? For example, CIP outlet split with a T and two valves for time saving, or do you think that the pressure drop would ne- negatively impact the effectiveness? Flow rate is king, so find out, okay? Um, you can do that. That's fine. I've seen people on Reddit uh, put some you know, some real beasts together, and they're cleaning everything at once. Good, Good for them. Flow rate is king, though. All right, make sure that you're, you're hitting the appropriate flow rate. He continues for my system. How necessary do you think a flow uh, meter on the pump outlet would be uh, at least for trialing? Like a- as we've been mentioning, at least for trialing these things and your different speed settings on your pump. And remember, different tanks and different hosing alignments are going to have different uh, are going to generate different flow rates. So if you have fifty feet of hose in line, as opposed or ten feet of hose, there's going to be different levels of restriction, right? So um, yeah, check that stuff out. So if you're if you have to bo- borrow one from a friend, um, or you know do make that investment or something like that, I think it's I think it's pretty big. I think it's pretty big. Um, what else? What was the water running onto the floor behind the acid tank in the video? Thanks, great videos. As always, um, that's that water that was dumping on the floor is uh, related to the steam system. Um, it was uh, it's like a condensate thing uh, because that's all steam heated, um, so that's that's coming out of that. Uh, just a couple of uh, one thing to consider uh, when it comes to uh, cleaning uh, your tank with that with that caustic side. Um, consider the following: uh, water blast on the tank is good, um, but also consider, uh, consider utilizing a blast with caustic as well. If you have 20 gallons, maybe see what five gallons does or 10 gallons, uh, and then drop that straight to the floor. That's going to do a couple things. It's going to remove a lot of soil for you. And, uh, because you don't want this nasty caustic circulating around, right? You want to actually take care of that stuff, um, and, and cut through it so you can actually be cleaning the steel. Right. Um, but also, you have uh, you can potentially have CO2 in uh, in that tank still, um, and uh, it also works to neutralize that uh, a, a little bit as well. Um, so it, can, it it can help it can help in in, in both ways. So uh, great question, and uh, and I appreciate it. Um, next cool question comes from Rad Dad on YouTube. Does your mash tun stir the entire mash? As a home brewer, I stir my mash hard about halfway through. Other home, home brewers are against this for some reason. Thoughts? Um, first of all, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know the utility of uh, beating it up. You said you're stirring it hard. Um, a vigorous stir on that. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know really what that's getting you. Sometimes it's one of those things where it scratches an itch, and it's like I like doing this. It makes me feel better about some part of the process. That's great. Um, but uh, if I, I I don't have a continuously stirred uh, mash, um, I do have a continuously stirred louder at uh, Um But I I had no problem like when I was when when I was in my mash rest. Uh, I would turn my rake sometimes, especially on bigger beers, halfway through. Just give it a nice, gentle turn. Um, I didn't want to like stir the whole thing up again from any natural settling that had already happened, um, because you could be extending like your your Verloff, your your ability to run that that work clear um, by doing that. Um, and I think uh, some homebrewers might also be talking about, or just some brewers uh, might just also be talking about oxidation at that point. It's a, it's a potential area for hot side oxidation, where if you're really beating that thing up, you can be introducing oxygen there, right. And maybe getting some staling, uh, downstream. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my thoughts on it, man. I think the primary concern is oxidation. And then secondly, uh, or equally, um, you know, prolonging your vorlauf or getting a, a less clear wort into your kettle. All right. Appreciate the question. Happy New Year. I'm a brewery. Good to see you in there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Andrew. Makes a lot of sense. Our next question is from Jeff Burns on Instagram. Hey, Adam, quick question for you. I made a Kolsch for a very small brewery in Ohio, and I currently have it carbonating in the bright tank. It's a three-barrel batch. I used Omega's Kolsch 2 liquid strain and actually fermented it at 65 degrees Fahrenheit and then cold-crashed it. Now, tasting it in my bright tank, which is inside a cooler, I'm tasting diacetyl. I've looked up how to possibly get rid of that diacetyl, which most I've seen is to keg the beer and then store the kegged beer warm or at room temp for three weeks or so. I wanted to ask you if you think this might be okay. I thought about transferring this batch back into a fermenter, uh, X, Y, and Z. Um, I appreciate the advice. Also... uh, I see you're going to be at the OCBA conference in Toledo in January, can't wait. Uh, Hit me up, dude, hit me up. The beer has been filtered, that's what I asked. So the beer has been filtered, so the beer has no yeast. And that's our ding, ding, ding moment for this answer. Okay, you can do whatever you want with that beer with, with no yeast in it. It's clear, it's done, you can throw it in kegs, you can warm it up, nothing's gonna happen, okay? Because functionally, what's happening is yeast need to reabsorb that diacetyl. Okay, that that movie theater butter character in it. Now we can talk adding things like a diacetyl test to your program. Um, you can give that a Google, but essentially uh, a, a relatively sealed vessel uh, heated up uh, sample of that beer heated up, um, and then you can smell the aromatics on it that that diacetyl will be more evident at that point and that that could have saved you up front also i have a video on that process but um so you can you can probably uh google that or search it in youtube um uh, adam makes beer and diacetyl uh, butter things like that so uh that'll show you how i do diacetyl test but um i think the only fix you're looking at here man is is using the the technique of and i think you need to get that beer uh warm again in in another vessel and i think you probably need to get my guesses ballpark of ten percent of the volume maybe five to ten percent of the volume but uh five percent five to ten percent of the volume i'm leaning toward ten of the volume of a similar beer with a similar yeast strain um similar color and that is actively fermenting, all right? That's like on day one or two of fermentation, and you need to take uh, 10% of that fermenting beer and in it and add it to that now room temperature diacetyl beer because it's going to be uh, the active yeast that will reconsume or reuptake uh, or uptake that diacetyl. Throwing, putting it in a tank, throwing dried yeast at it probably isn't going to do it. Uh, taking a slurry and throwing at it, maybe, but you want active yeast that's rolling, okay? Um, that's that's the fix there. That's the fix there. So I uh, hope it works out well for you. Please say hello to me in, uh, in the great city of Toledo, right? Days away, essentially. Next question comes from Jop Baras on Instagram. Hello, Adam. Thanks again for continuously pumping out such great content for brewers around the world. I've been playing around with first wort hops, initially as a countermeasure to prevent boil overs. We have a direct fire kettle. We recently cleaned the fire chamber and removed uh, a large amount of soot soot that had immediate, uh, and we immediately noticed that the kettle was heating faster, which is good, but also increases our likelihood for boil overs. We are located in a Latin American country, so things like firm cap take some time to arrive. So far, first wort hopping has helped quite a bit to prevent boil overs, but now I am worried about over undershooting my IBUs. I've been adding them when the lauded wort is at 90 degrees C, so just prior to boil. I've read others add them as soon as they have some wort covering the bottom of the kettle. Any tips or suggestions you guys can share in regards to this technique? Just to add, I've been splitting around one-third to half of my bittering charge as first wort. Cheers. First of all, thank you for all the kind words. Um, You know, first wort hopping is a little bit of a, uh, not controversial, but there's different takes on it, right? Um, Everybody always uses the terminology, you get a finer hop aroma different things like that off of it. That is a quote from uh, German research. Um, and if you are thinking about an American hot profile, um, I they're not talking about the same thing. All right. Uh, they're not talking about the, the same thing when they're talking about a finer hot profile. Okay. So, um, you know, First wort hopping, you're definitely going to get bitterness out of it. Yes, you can add that directly at the beginning uh, of, you know, you have wort in your kettle. Great. Uh, get those hops in there. Uh, there is some discussion surrounding this about the uh, the higher pH of the wort at that point, you know, prior to boil. Uh, because the boil drives the pH of your wort down, um, that it can help to volatilize some, uh, some non-desirables. Different things like that, but there's people I respect on both sides of the aisle that say uh, that they think it works, and some people that they think it doesn't. Uh, obviously, it will give you uh, it will give you IBU, um, and so use a trusted hop calculator for when inputting those things um, in, in order to do that right. But you you added a you, you added an interesting an interesting layer to it. If it's if you're seeing results in helping you uh, avoid boilovers, I think that's great, man. Uh, boilovers are scary. It's one of the scariest things that we have going on in this business. So um, if you're finding if you're finding uh, positives there, which which wouldn't surprise me, which wouldn't surprise me, um, it, it might help to stop some of that boilover process. So I think it's sweet. Keep running with it, um, and uh, I, I don't have I don't have any issue with the technique. Whether or not I would be able to swear as to smoother bitterness, finer hop aromas, some of the different things that people say about it, uh, find out find out what you like in your beer with that technique. But if you're finding success with uh, avoiding boilover, that's 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 where it's at, and uh, keep rolling with it. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great question, Andrew, and uh, you're you're spot on. I I, I wouldn't want to. I don't think I want to. Uh, yeah, you, you, you get it. You get it. Um, not that I have, you know, bad things to say or anything like that. Um, next question is from mad Viking brewing. Hey, Adam, my beers are always lacking that bright hop flavor and aroma, always tasting bitter and muddled. I typically use three to five to one sulfate to chloride in my water. I dry hop for one day and cold crash for two, leaving the hops in the fermenter for three days total. I don't have or take pH. Could this possibly be a problem? He's doing the equivalent of 2.2 pounds per barrel or eight grams per liter. He says Aussie over here on a 6.4% IPA or five grams per liter on a hoppy pale ale. Uh, is I adjusted a pH of a finished beer and it was 4.7. So I would try adjusting that pH down um, to see uh, how those beers come across uh, once you hit food safe range. Um, I know some people like their pH higher. Some people like their pH lower on those beers. Um, but I know there are some people that uh, really love having a lower pH uh, on those beers. Because remember, those hops are going to be drawing up the pH of your beer, especially at those more aggressive dry hop levels you know i don't think there's any big problem with with the process um i would say you know if you are on the homebrew side um i I don't have a huge problem with the the contact time that you're utilizing but maybe give it a rouse or two um you're using a, a smaller fermenter maybe you can swirl it a rocket something like that get those things uh keep those things up in solution a little bit and that might give you that, that might help you in that direction as well. So, yeah, take a look at the water a little bit and then uh, maybe look at getting those hops roused a little bit and see if you can pop those a little bit more. I might dial back that, that sulfate. Lean, lean off that gypsum, man. Go one to one and uh, uh, go one to one. Get about 100 parts of 75, 100 parts of chloride sulfate in it and, you know, 50 to 100 parts uh, calcium. And and then kind of see what you're see what you're looking at. Appreciate the question, dude. Next question comes from Tall Man Brewing. Merry Christmas, Adam. Merry Christmas to you too. Keep up the good work. Love the content, complimentary, uh, the content commentary and range of topics. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Question one: Mash hopping. <laughs> Pellets or leaf hops? When you add them, uh, what are the best practices you've learned when mash hopping? Uh, so first of all, I've only well, I have used cone, I've used whole cone, um, but mostly uh, I use pellets. Um, you know, utility on the uh, on on whether or not you do get uh, smoother bitterness, finer hop aromatics. Uh, I say do it for yourself and and find out. Um, but yeah, you are looking at um, getting those hops into, uh... oh wait, goodness gracious, did I just answer wrong? Did I just give a whole big question about, uh... hold on just a second. Okay, good, I was mixing up mash hop and first wart. I was panicking for a second let me let me get back on let let me get back on point here um so mash hopping uh pellets or leaf when do you add them for me uh when uh when i mash hop i mash hop with uh pellets um as soon as i have my my strike water and grain uh grist and i'm up above you know i'm up above the grain bed um i'll add them a couple a couple strikes throughout it just kind of spread it out i probably don't even need to because it's getting stirred but yeah that that's that's what i do um and you know the utility of this is you know some people make the argument about you know maybe you get a smoother bitterness different things like that plug it into a reliable a reliable uh recipe calculator um the other the other uh, use case for this is uh, being able to thump up your 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 thiol load. Okay, so if you are working with thialized yeast, uh, this is this is a good place to be able to uh, if you're looking to really push your thiol volume um, with some of the thiol accentuating yeast or thiol generating yeasts that are available out there. Uh, that that that's a good that's a good space for that. Uh, question two. Uh, batches to fill a, to fill a fermenter. Uh, how much time do you have to get an FV full uh, between batches? Uh, that is, if I have a twenty barrel and I'm running a four, uh, a five barrel, uh, five barrel batches. How much time from the first batch to the last batch? If that were me, I would do two doubles. I would turn work in two days. Turn five barrels turn another five, and then turn the next 10 the next day. Um, I know some people will go up to three, um, but I don't know. Um, that's just what I would do in in, in your situation. Um, I would also look at thinking about high-gravity brewing. If that's an option for you, um, brewing, depending on style and everything like that, maybe think about making a denser wort. And then cutting it back, maybe uh, on your way into the fermenter, um, with some pre-boiled uh, with some pre-boiled water that's water adjusted for for pH. Um, that might be an option for you as well. So some some different things. Um, but yeah, that's that that's what I would do in that situation. Um, try to wrap it up in in two days, but I, I don't think you're going to be down the river if you did it over the course of three either. But yeah. All right. Uh, next question comes from David Garza on Instagram. Hey Adam, trying to dissect an issue at my brewery. Oh, dude, I need to come back to this one. I need to research this one. This was on uh, metallic issues, and I need to I need to dive more into it. I don't want to I don't want to speak from a from a place of weakness, and I would be if 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 I answered that question. So I apologize. I, I need to grind on that one a little bit more. Uh, Jake Keys on Instagram. Hey, Adam, great content. Quick question. I'm not sure how much experience you have with unitanks, but we've experimented with different dry hopping amounts to see how much impact it has on yield. And we've noticed that the, that the issue has less to do with the amount of dry hop and more to do with hops getting stuck all along the cone of the tank along the wall. Then once we get to the end of packaging or transferring and the volume of beer gets below the top of that cone, the hops then fall off the wall and into the clear beer. This leads me to believe that hops just aren't settling all the way to the bottom. So even after we feel as though we've dumped enough hops to get clear beer, we still have hops built up uh, the wall of the cone. Any advice on getting those hops to slide down, collect in the bottom? Uh, Do you think there's any validity to my current thesis? that glycol paired with the slope of the cone is causing hops to freeze and stick to the wall. It's possible, uh, but I would lean more on the fact that you probably are going to need some sort of mixing going on with that, okay? Whether that means that you are blasting a high rate of CO2, like maybe 30, 40 PSI, through the racking arm or through the bottom of the tank, depending on if you still have yeast down there, but blowing something up through the tank during your dry hop, or after your dry hop, and maybe doing that again on some consecutive days afterwards to make sure that's roused and blown through. That might help uh, that issue right there. You can also circulate dry hops. People do that. Sometimes they will dry hop, blast gas through to mix, and then hook up a clean, sanitized, and purged uh pump rig um, with all its connection points uh well sealed. Um, and then circulate that beer uh, with your pump. That might be another option. So yeah, my, my guess is it should be your solution will lean on mechanically uh, circulating that beer or uh, creating turbulence in that beer. So yeah, that's my take on it. <clears throat> Next question comes from Tim Summers. Hey, don't know if this was a good question for your Q&A, but wanted to ask you an opinion question. Why aren't there more Belgian craft breweries? I mean, even Michael Jackson talked New Belgium out of doing a Belgian-based brewery. I'm just confused as to why that style seems to only get partial attention. And he's talking about uh, Gosa, Flanders, Triples, Quads, etc. I just listened to an interview with... Uh, Who's the Belgian dude at New Belgium? I should know. Anyways, I don't know. I apologize. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, he mentioned that he thinks that there is an issue with the American palate and the Esther profile and uh, that's her profile specifically. He spoke to the Esther profile and specifically the banana profile um, of some of the Belgian beers uh, out there. Some of the things that Belgian yeast produce, he didn't touch on phenolics, but I think that's a a potential issue as well. Um, And he was saying that he says he doesn't feel as if it's well suited to the generalized American palate. Now, He knows more than me. Um, I do know Belgian beers tend to be a love and hate thing, a love or hate thing. Um, I think in part because it's difficult to actually make great Belgian beer. Right. Um, I think sometimes there's I think I've had more bad Belgian beer than I have some other styles. You know, I I think it takes some 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 real care and understanding of what's going on with with those yeast strains um, of what you're trying to accomplish recipe wise. And I think there's a real I think there's a there's a strange uh, mythology around brewing these beers uh, on the uh, on uh, on the stateside and in in, in the United States um, that I don't think is necessarily what's actually happening with those with those yeasts. But, um, but anyways, uh, that's kind of my take. I I think in some ways, I think it's, uh, it's a, it's a cultural palette thing a little bit. That's not to say that it would never trend again or anything like that. Um, I think there, there are some delicious beer styles in there. Um, but that was what, that was what the new Belgium guy was saying. So anyways, that's that. Uh, next question is from my man, Jamie Tripp on Facebook. Adam, a man, two exclamation points. As a small brewery, we are trying to determine the best ratio of can to keg. We are currently canning about 40 to 50% of our product, but they sell out much before the keg stock. My question is two parts. First, should we shift the canning to canning more or wait until we see a full year of data? Second, what is the longest you would be comfortable keeping kegs in a continuously refrigerated environment well uh I think uh, a couple of things uh first of all I mean it it you could just look at your numbers and and you know you, you're gonna have some you, you're gonna have some shift um, first of all uh the can is not getting you the margin that the keg is and and we we we, we both know uh, we both know that uh, let me look back at the ratio. We are currently can much okay. So you're It's almost like you're selling more to-go beer or distro beer, right? Um, than your keg stock. Uh, keeping in mind that your that your keg stock, your your in-house beer is is your bread and butter. Okay. Um, you may be at a situation where you want the cans to run out uh, just because of the fact you're you're making such a better margin on the other. Um, flip side is, is um, you know, taste, sensory, everything like that. That that all comes into play. Uh, I think if you're if, if you're really tight on everything, you shouldn't have a problem with with a six month window with something that is stored cold, uh, nonstop. Um, but also let your let your 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 nose and palate be, be the guide on that as well. And also remember, any beer that you have packaged. You can draw some off, uh, degas it, check pH, look back is the pH still the exactly the same, right? Is the is the final gravity still the same? Check those things out, right? Those are those are things that you can track uh, when it comes to that. So, uh, yeah, Jamie, again, best luck. Jamie is uh, running test batches up there in Canada. So, yes. Yeah, and, and just to jump to this one real quick. Uh, that whole idea of sulfate levels making the hops pop, it's, it's, it's misconstrued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about flavor and aroma. What sulfate does is, in my mind, sulfate brings bitterness into focus. It doesn't make it bigger, but it, it makes a beer taste drier, maybe crisper, leaner. It can, right? And obviously add a minerality component as well. But yeah, so that that's that's the idea there, man. That's not going to do anything with with your hot flavor or anything like that. Uh, Steve Ward, Happy New Year from Tasmania, dude. That's awesome. I, I well, I mean, thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. That's the fact that you're from Tasmania is and that blows my mind. That's sweet, dude. Um. Well, hey, everybody, uh, that is uh, that's going to be a wrap for me this month. You're not going to want to miss Mitch Steele coming up uh, mid month. Uh, stay tuned. Please give me those uh, those follows on YouTube and make sure you that you do the ring the bell thing, everything like that. So you can stay you can stay in line with that stuff. Remember, this stuff is all on podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast. Um, We do uh, appreciate uh, any support that you can offer us, anything from making sure you hit likes on those videos uh, to uh, buying merch, stuff like that. Uh, All very much appreciated. I'm still figuring out the merch thing. I'm like buying everything ahead of time to make sure like I like it before I start selling it so we're, we're rolling that stuff out but but anyways uh just as always uh so so humbled and grateful uh 2023 was uh w- was a year of growth with with the channel and personally uh for me um i'm really going to be i'm working on i'm working on trying to be a a better man like more balanced uh, more reasonable with with my time allotment right uh dropping stress mental stress um so I can you know fully engage with my family and stuff but you know it's all it's all part of the process 2023 was great and crazy in so many ways uh I think 2024 is going to be going be really exciting man you know and sometimes when you're when you're on the internet people have different wild things to say about you know, things I know here in the U S we, we have an election year. There's, there's trouble around the world and stuff like that. But if, if you're somebody that gains, uh, feels a lot of stress on stuff like that, keep, keep it, keep it local, man. Focus on your people, focus on your family, focus on your friends, do good for each other. Be grateful. Um, and, and I'm excited to see what, what comes up in this, in, in this upcoming year, you guys, uh, again, uh, the support, the the support that I get from all over the place. It's it's wild, you know. Uh so yeah, just great stuff. Um, and we'll 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 see you here soon. Take care, you guys.